You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. All right, guys. Well, with that, we're going to get into the message for today. Um, unfortunately, Justin is sick, so we won't get to hear from him today, but be praying for him and the rest of his family. Um, so you guys get to hang out with me this morning, and I'm looking forward to it. We're going to deviate a little bit. We've been tracking through the book of James together for a little while now, as you guys know, and um, we're going to take a short break from that. We'll finish up James probably next week. Uh, but today we're going to hang out in the Psalms, Psalms chapter 122 and 123. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and take those out and start flipping that way, as well as if you have any, any notes or anything like that, just get all that prepared. And as you do so, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. Father, we are so grateful to be able to come before you this morning and to worship you, God, to praise your name. And, and Lord, simply but effectively, I just I ask and I pray that as one of the songs we sang, that that would just ring true here, God, that your presence would be welcomed in this place. God, that you would meet each and every individual uniquely where they are at this morning and that your word would permeate the hearts and the lives and that we would see lasting change in our lives because of what you have for us today through your word. Because God, we know that your word is powerful and it does not come back void. So Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And we are just in awe of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys. Well, like I said, we're going to start off today in Psalm 122. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and get there in your Bibles. But uh, first, I just want to I want to start by asking, you know what it's like when you have something happen in your life and it just captures your complete attention immediately? And it's just safe to say that there's almost nothing else that's going on in your mind outside of that one thing in that moment, right? We've all experienced it. And this actually happened to me yesterday. I was playing outside with our girls, and um, man, what a nice day it was yesterday, right? I'm from Washington, and I just moved out here a few months ago, so yesterday felt like a summer afternoon to me. (laughs) But uh, I've come to know it might snow tomorrow. (laughs) So... But yeah, we're playing outside yesterday, and I'm teaching Addie, my oldest daughter, how to swing a golf club, and and as I'm showing her, kind of like, okay, so you stand here, and this is how you hold it, and this is what you do. You keep your eye on the ball, and as we're doing that, I'm focused on what she's doing, and I hear behind me this loud crash, and I look back, and I see my youngest daughter, Elena, who's one year old. She has one of those, you know those stride bikes that kids have? They don't have pedals, and you just like cruise around on them. She's on that thing, but... Her face is on the ground, and the bike and her feet are kind of like up in the air. And in that moment, that just consumes my attention. And I, all that I can think about is, how do I get over there? How do I attend to her need? How do I comfort her? How do I fix her wound? And in the moment, nothing else that's going on around me matters. The thought of teaching Adeline how to swing a golf club is completely gone. And you know, it's not always something quite as serious as an injury of your child that gets our attention, isn't it? Just last week, Vale and I and the kids, we were driving over to the holidays for dinner, and and, uh, Vale's talking to me about something, and uh, I get a text. And you know, nowadays, your vehicles, they can read your text messages to you through the speakers in the car. And so she's talking to me, and it says, you have a new text message. Would you like to listen to it? 
and on the steering wheel I hit yes. And uh, it starts talking over her. <laughs> and she goes, are you listening to me? And I said, yeah. She says, what did I just say? And my response to her, whatever it was, I don't quite remember, but it was what the text message had read to me, not what she was talking about. <laughs> so you see, it's not always something so important. Our attention gets grabbed and it gets pulled so easily. No matter how hard we try, we can't completely focus our attention on more than one thing at a time. And I've heard it said about multitasking that you're not doing two things well. You're just doing two things poorly. You're not doing anything well. You're just doing two things poorly. And so this morning, that's kind of what we're going to look at. We're going to take a look at our own lives, at our own hearts, and we're going to seek to evaluate where our focus is. What do we give our attention to? Because where your focus is, often there lies your dependency as well, right? So one more time, before we dig into this text, let's just pray together. Father, we do come before you now, and we just ask, Lord, that by your spirit you would speak to us, God. Your word is so powerful. And I believe, God, that you have a message for us here today in the Psalms. And we ask, God, that you would just speak that clearly and powerfully to our hearts and that it would bring lasting change to our lives. All right, guys, well, we're going to pick up in Psalm 122, starting in verse 1. We're going to just read the whole thing. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord, for the thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So David here in Psalm 122, he was glad to go to the Lord's house, right? And the question for us there is, do you get excited when you think about being a part of the church? And I don't mean Calvary Chapel, Paris, although I'm very happy if you do call that your church home. But God's church, do you get excited about being a part of the family of God? And that's the emotion that we get out of David here. He's excited to go to the house of the Lord, it says in verse 1. To go to the house of the Lord and to be with the people of God, being a part of the church, you see, it's not just showing up to church service on Sunday, but it's being the body of Christ And that happens all week long. It's being there for one another. It's doing life together. It's these things like I was describing that we find in life groups. You see, Jesus loves his church. And being involved with something that Jesus loves should cause us to feel joy and to feel excitement. And it's like when we meet somebody that has the same interests that we do. Doesn't that give you excitement? For me, it's food, man. I love food. I love good food. And I miss some of my Northwest restaurants. I I do miss my fresh seafood. But when somebody else has these same 
loves for good food as I do. It's exciting. It's fun to talk about, right? It's not just your McDonald's. I love talking about a good steak and some good potatoes. But this is how we should feel about the body of Christ, right? We need to be excited, and that should bring unity and excitement and joy to our souls. You know, in Psalm 84, verse 10, it says this, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Remember that song, if you've been around the church for any amount of time, I'm sure that you've heard it. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere, than thousands elsewhere. So you are, are you excited about being the church? Are you excited about being a part of God's family? In Romans chapter 1, Paul says this in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, we're living in a time where it seems like many are not excited or maybe even ashamed to be a part of the church. They don't want that. But because of the finished work of Christ, we can come together as the church with joy and with excitement. There's no room for shame. And here's the beauty of the church and why we should get excited about it. Because the church is made up of people from all different backgrounds and all different ways of life. And because Jesus has done a work in their lives, they become family, right? You and I, in unity, we get to be together with the people of God, in the name of God, under the word of God, to grow in and learn about God together. And that should give us great excitement. That's what David felt when he's going to the house of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful thing, church? It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter where you're from. We recently had a staking study for the men. And if you were there, you might remember that uh, one of our elders, Mr. Jerry Roberts, who taught, he said, I'm country as a tumbleweed. (laughs) And maybe me knowing, you know, not much about the farm life, but because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, somebody like Jerry and somebody like me, well, we become family and we have a a brotherly bond. We have a unity because of our commonality in Jesus, our commonality in what he has done for us. And you know, when I first got plugged into church, when I first gave my life to the Lord, I became very close friends with some people that couldn't have been more different from me. And I'm sure maybe that's the same for a lot of you, but because of what Jesus has done in our lives, it built lasting and lifelong friendships that are still strong even even in distance. But you see, the enemy wants you to believe that the church is an option for you, that you don't really need it in your life. But when you meet Jesus and you become a part of the church, it's not an option. It's a component of who you are. It's a reality. And again, this doesn't just mean that you go to church. It doesn't just mean that you come to this building on Sundays and on Wednesdays. But it means that you be the church, and that's 24-7. Because we go to church, we come to this building on Sundays and on Wednesdays to be built up in prayer and in worship and to receive from the Word of God so that we can go be the church in our community throughout the rest of the week, right? We need to be excited to be with the people of God. And I'm excited that God would 
love me, that he would call me, and that he would invite me into being a part of his family. See, Jesus brings us together and he creates immediate bonds with people that don't even speak the same language as us, right? I don't know if you've ever maybe been on a missions trip or in some other setting and you've been a part of a setting of worship where there's people speaking multiple different languages, but just the power and the beauty that is behind that is like nothing else I've ever seen. Let's pick back up in Psalm 122, starting in verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be with you. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. So simply put, you and I, as the church, as people of God's family, we need to be praying peace over Jerusalem. You know, the very name Jerusalem means city of peace. In the Bible, it's a story of two cities, right? You have Babylon and you have Jerusalem. You have Terran rebellion and you have peace with God. And from Genesis to Revelation, if you have read the Bible, we see this reality over and over again, right? But you know, God has a special plan for the city of Jerusalem. His purposes and his plans, they're not yet done there. And it's our job to pray peace over them as a city, as a people. God's plan is for Jerusalem to be a place, of, a, a place of peace and of sanctuary and prosperity, verse 6 tells us. You know, Jerusalem was once a religious center. It was the house of God. It was the center of political power for King David and his line. And when Jesus comes on the scene, the temple in Jerusalem had been rebuilt by this time, and he came in as the Lord of the temple. And we need to realize that God still has a, a plan and a purpose for that city. It's yet to take place, and it's very clear that it's our job here in the scriptures to pray peace over Jerusalem. And I know that can be challenging for us as we are far removed from that place, but we have a a serious call to pray peace over Jerusalem. And and honestly, when was the last time that you did this? Because if I'm honest, I can tell you that Praying for peace over Jerusalem isn't a regular occurrence in my prayer life, and and that convicted me a little bit when studying for this, because there's a clear call to be praying peace over Jerusalem. So as a church, let's commit. Let's, Let's pray for Jerusalem and all that's going on there. Let's pray peace over them as we're called to do. Let's move on now to Psalm 123. Unto you I lift my eyes... O you who dwell in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to you, O God, until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. So just as we talked about in the beginning, right, our focus, it's all about where our focus is. The psalmist writes, unto you I lift my eyes. That's a physical action, right? Look up with a heart of dependence. 
Verse 2 said, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of maidservants to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has had mercy on us. Now, mistress in our culture means an entirely different thing than what we see here in the Psalms. A mistress in the day of the Psalms is somebody that you worked for. It's your boss. A servant has his master, and the maidservant has her mistress. It's whom you would depend on for your livelihood. And so just as the servant and the maidservant look to their master and mistress, so do we look to God, right? You see, the way up is to look up. But don't only look up to the Lord. Do it with a heart of dependence upon him. You see, we're living in a society that is built on and seeks independence, right? You don't need anyone, be it emotionally, physically. You could do it all on your own, right? And you see, that's why Christianity is challenging to a lot of people. Because Christianity says exactly the opposite. It says, God, I can't do this on my own. And actually, apart from you, without you, I can do nothing at all. We need to look to God with a heart that is completely dependent. Because without God, we don't even have breath in our lungs. We have nothing. We can do nothing. The only reason we're even here is because God is good. You know, being here in uh, Texas for however long I have now, a few months since December, (laughs) I've noticed an emphasis on freedom, and I love that. I do. I love that. But the reality here is that we have zero freedom unless we depend on the truth that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That's where we find our freedom. And you don't want to buy the lie that you can do this on your own because you're completely dependent on the Lord. You see, God keeps our hearts beating. He keeps air in the sky so that we can breathe. He made a way for us to be saved through the finished work of Jesus. He did everything. He gives us the gift of faith just so that we can exercise it in looking back toward him. Full circle, right? Left to our own devices, we have nothing going for us. Even those who choose not to acknowledge God are still completely dependent upon him. So we need to learn to look to the Lord and be comfortable being dependent. This week, Vail and I Actually, not even this week, this weekend, yesterday, the day before, we filed our taxes. And we claimed Adeline and Elena as dependents on our tax return, meaning that we take care of them, right? And that they look to us for everything, that their well-being is very dependent upon us as their parents. And similarly, God takes care of us, right? Only much better. We're dependent upon him. If If God filed taxes, we'd all be on his tax form. So look up and be good with the fact that you're dependent on God because it's a far better outcome than betting on your independence. The Bible teaches that you were bought at a price, that you're not your own. So therefore glorify God with your body and with your spirit because they are the Lord's. And this is why, as Christians, we can say that I am second, and Jesus, that you are first, and that I must decrease, and Lord, you must increase. You get all the glory, God, because I don't need any. Why? Because
because we're entirely dependent upon him. Everything good about us could not be good without God. So allow him the glory in your life. And you know, many people today might say that they believe in Jesus, but they're not living a life that's dependent upon him, right? It's, it's very common today. And I think that this is a way that, that God wants to grow us as individuals. There are so many things that he's invited us into that we don't take part in because it's going to shine a light on our dependence, and we don't want that. We want to be independent, like serving sacrificially. Why would you do that? Why would you serve in a way that might cost you something? It's because you're dependent on the Lord, and Jesus served you. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, right? And when we step out in humble, sacrificial service, we're saying that, Lord, I'm dependent on you, and, and right now this might feel beneath me, but I know, God, that nothing is beneath me because you took on flesh and you died on a cross for my life. And how about financial generosity? The money talk, everybody's favorite part. Financial generosity. Every time we give financially, we're saying that Jesus I'm dependent upon you. And I can give this away because, God, I trust you. But you know, for a lot of us, that's really a hard thing to do, isn't it? Why would I do that? What if I don't have enough money? And the reality is that if you're living your life independent, apart from God, you're not ever going to have enough money because the numbers say what they do and, and our hearts are full of greed, right? It's never going to be enough. But if you're dependent upon God, you're going to realize that he's got you. But it can be hard. It can be hard. But when we realize that we're completely dependent upon the Lord, we get to live differently. We get to live sacrificially. We get to live generously. He invites us to live in dependency. And if we do, we're going to find freedom and the fact that he is God. And here's what's great. When your eyes are focused on God and when you're living unashamedly dependent upon him, in the face of God's perfection, we're going to very clearly start to see our imperfections. In verse 3, the writer seeks mercy from God because there's contempt in his heart. And there's a part of our hearts that, because of pride, we don't want to be dependent we want to feel strong. We want to feel independent. There's contempt in our hearts. And you see, we can receive God's blessing and then actually act as if he didn't give us those blessings to begin with. I can individualize them and make myself independent from God. And in a lot of ways, this is the story of our culture. God can bless his people, but because of the contempt and the pride in our hearts, we forsake him. Isn't this the story that we see time and time again throughout the Bible? And you know, no matter how long that you've been walking with the Lord, you should always come before him and say, have mercy upon me, a sinner, oh God. No matter how much we grow, we can say, thank you for what you've done. I'm not where I used to be, and I'm not yet where I'm going 
you know, for the believer, God's going to work on things deep inside of our hearts that no one else sees. Maybe nobody knew that the psalmist here struggled with pride and contempt in his heart, but God knew, and he knew that mercy and forgiveness was needed for him. And look, for us today, we can know that God's mercy has been fully given in Christ. We're not waiting for it. We've already received it. It's already been done. And if you haven't made the decision yet to follow Christ, that is here and it's ready for you this very day. Because Jesus on the cross, when he said, it is finished, all of God's glory is contained right there at the cross in the name of Jesus. And so as a believer, you have God's mercy. It's new each and every day. And if you're not a believer, you're welcomed into God's mercy that is new each and every day. So let's allow God to do the work that he wants to do in our lives because he isn't done with any of us yet, despite the daily struggle of pride and contempt in our lives. You can always come to him in dependence and say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for your grace and for your love and thank you for saving me. And if you're here today and you haven't ever prayed a prayer like that, I would love to talk with you more about that. I would love to talk to you more about what the finished work of Jesus on the cross means for you and your life. Please come talk to me afterwards. You see, in the face of God's perfection, we can so clearly see our imperfections. And this is the reality that God wants us to walk in, to get our focus upon him. Let your focus on the Lord set your direction with a holy dependency upon him. And you'll be amazed when you do how your life is going to begin to rise up on a path that leads closer and closer to God day in and day out. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or if you're ready to make that decision for the first time today, today is a day that he wants you to realize your dependence on him and take steps towards that. Your focus sets your direction. Your focus sets your direction. So look up with a heart of dependency on the Lord. Let's pray together, church.